Hello and welcome to another episode of Triathlon Science. Hopefully I didn't confuse too many people with the last episode. I kind of got to the end thinking that I may have not actually explained why I don't read triathlon books. I'll probably do a redo of that one at some point, go over things in a little bit more detail and not kind of waffle as much as I did then. Today's episode is about training methodologies. It's about um, essentially thinking about things like polarised training, threshold training and various other things because it's been a bugbear of mine for a while as you probably find out if you follow me via social media um, that I, I've i kind of been quite vocal of being not a fan of the way that certain um, both scientists and coaches seem to have kind of jumped on this idea of polarised training and are, are presenting it as a kind of panacea of how you improve as an endurance athlete and everything else, including things like threshold work, should be avoided at all costs. The idea of using the grey zone, the black hole, anyone that uses those terms when they talk about things like threshold training, I think they've gone very, very wrong in terms of the way that they are prescribing things. And I'll go on to explain why. To do this, I'm going to think of this as an analogy. I'm going to try and explain it with regards to analogy. That is going to be a common theme amongst these podcasts, is trying to explain these concepts with an analogy that may um, hopefully help some people understand um, things a little better. Because that is the point of analogy. I've always used lots of analogies. In fact, I've used so many that I often get laughed at for the analogies that I use, um, particularly by my wife. But it's something that I've used often um, in the studio when I've been working with runners um, and as a way of trying to get across the concepts that actual the actual concept themselves, the science behind it is probably too complicated for most people to really uh, want to understand or care about. And then actually simplifying it with analogy makes things just a little easier to get across, a little easier way to teach. And I always wondered whether, or I always thought it was a kind of... Um, like an almost like a taboo way of doing things in terms of explaining and teaching is that if you need to kind of drop yourself to analogies that you weren't actually um, able to teach the subject properly. And actually, really interestingly, I came across a book that, that almost told or said the complete opposite. It actually said that analogies are an excellent way of teaching, but they're also a way of sh- demonstrating that you understand the concept so well that you're able to simplify it for any person and relate it to certain analogies. And obviously that means if the analogy works, if it doesn't work, then clearly you've gone very wrong. So that is going to be a common theme of these podcasts, is taking something. Because I often think of these analogies when I'm out riding and I think through them and I think and I... Um, I come up with all these ideas. Often when I get home, I've forgotten most of them, which is a bit of a problem. I'm actually starting to think whether I should carry a notebook or something because I often have all the ideas I think around, around things like this when I'm out on a ride and I don't have any way of uh, writing it down. I don't really want to stop and start recording things. Okay, so the analogy that I'm going to use regards to training methodologies is food. So I was thinking about this and about this idea that so there are people, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts um, podcasts and they uh, and they often have coaches on or they have um, people of science should we say on and there's a certain podcast I'm not going to name what it is but the coaches are very heavily biased towards the polarized training model they are they often have the proponent Stephen Seeler of the, the model um, on the um, on the podcast and they essentially crowbar or anything that is often related is often related back to why someone isn't doing the polarized model why they should be doing the polarized model how it benefits etc cetera, etc cetera. 
that's partly ignoring the fact that the science behind the polarised training model is not anywhere near conclusive. I still don't believe there isn't a lot of um, kind of fudging, putting things into categories when it comes to that kind of science, in that the way Stephen Sealer explains it, it is off, still based around the fact that elite athletes are doing it, so therefore um, it probably applies to um, time-pressed athletes, and I don't think that's necessarily the case at all. But I also think that that is really missing how a lot of elite athletes train. It's also missing, potentially, the nuances between different sports. You can study elite runners, and you can study elite um, cross-country skiers, and they may not do anything like an elite cyclist. And the reason for that is because they are, whilst they are aerobic sports, they are very different. So, for instance, polarised training as such, I think I'd probably more promote that in running for a different reason, as I've said before. And I'm, I'm trying to do some more talks around the polarised kind of concept in running, because with running, it's about recoil, elasticity and training the, essentially the body systems that can benefit very heavily from very, very low intensity training and higher volume in certain key points. Whereas cycling, because it is non-weight bearing, because it essentially is purely aerobic, you might polarise your training for a different reason. And if you are very time-pressed, it probably makes sense not to really uh, essentially spend or waste too much time in the lower end. You can fiddle with things like intensity to basically get the, the gains that you are available or are available for the amount of time that you have. Now, the reason I have a problem and the reason I'm going to explain in regards to this is because of this idea of a method, a, an approach. That is not how it ever works. It's, it's all about using tools. It's all about using the tool of polarizing at a certain point. It is all about using the tool of threshold training. So for instance, at the moment, over the last few months, I've been polarising my training by just happens to happen naturally is that I've been riding to the lake a lot. So I have about a 45 minute each way ride on my cyclocross bike to the lake for a nice swim. Um, I have been doing also then some higher intensity um, kind of depleting intervals and various things around that. So I'm doing a lot of VO2 max and, and type kind of efforts and beyond in terms of intensity. I'm not doing almost any threshold because I've got no races. So I've, I've kind of dropped the threshold sweet spot work that I've always kind of fallen to as a way of preparing specifically for certain races, particularly things like half Ironman. However, if we actually get any races this year, I quite fancy having go maybe at Helvellyn if it actually ends up being on. At that point, with having a two hour bike, I need to drop into doing at least some high end sweet spot work because if I try and do essentially a two hour relatively exhaustive effort or an effort that I don't want to be fully exhaustive because I want to be able to do the run which is quite taxing um, I'm going to need to do some of that kind of work so it's all about using tools at a different time so the way I was thinking about this was regards to food so if you ask somebody or kind of you know let's say you've got somebody that says um, Italian is the best food now that is a sub relatively subjective opinion they could also say that maybe they say that Italian is the healthiest food. Again, also a subjective opinion. But because there's there's a lot more nuance to it than that. But I kind of regard it as I say, so if you imagine that your person that is a proponent of polarised training is saying that Italian is the best and healthiest food and that threshold training just makes you unhealthy and put on weight or essentially in our analogy, the threshold training is going to be, let's say, Indian food. 
So the thing about Indian food is in regards, and the reason I thought of this and the reason I kind of was that um, threshold training has the propensity for you to overreach, shall we say. It is that middle ground that is allows you to do a high volume of uh, essentially high training load when you factor in both intensity and time because you can do a lot of it and it is relatively higher intensity um, and so it fits that kind of point so if you imagine they say this analogy I'm thinking about I'm talking about Indian food as in what you get in a, in a kind of British Indian restaurant should we say which is generally very high in fat very high in sugar very high in carbohydrates it is the epitome of consumption of food you can eat probably more Indian food in terms of calories than pretty much any other type of food because it is a combination of fat and carbohydrates and sugar particularly um, that is kind of gold to the brain. It will continue to eat because it will view this as a feast in case it has to then fast. So um, the way our brain works is it obviously it's seeking, often seeking calories. It's seeking, uh, as I say, that's why we have issues with things like sugar and fat and various other things in terms of high calorie food is because that's exactly what our brain's trying to seek so we have issues essentially controlling that overeating and then actually a lot of um, kind of dieting really focuses on removing some of those elements so that the food isn't quite as um, appealing to the brain should we say so you can overeat a lot on Indian food and if you were to eat it every day continually it is likely that you probably become quite unhealthy and quite overweight but there's a nuance to this. You don't have to. If you ate Indian food at a restaurant every single day, what if you could reduce the amount that you ate there? What if you controlled and very carefully ate a certain amount with very careful consideration that was no more than you would actually need to consume during that day? Then over the months or so, then you probably wouldn't necessarily take the actually kind of timely kind of micronutrient side of things of health aside, maybe you wouldn't necessarily get that unhealthy and maybe you wouldn't put on weight because you controlled it. So I view that as taking threshold training and maybe reducing the amplitude to sweet spot training. You can have a certain amount of it, but you have to be very careful with the dose. And that is kind of where threshold training often gets this bad reputation is that it is a little bit like gorging over and over and over again is because you get a little bit addicted because it happens to be an area that produces loads of endorphins so you tend to want to do loads and more and more which means that you then do loads more and more you tend to then burn out because you just have consumed too much but if you're controlled about it then actually you could do a really good job of just consuming just the right amount Okay, so let's go back to the kind of, you know, food analogy side of things. Well, let's say Italian food. Um, I'm just thinking of an example of the fact that some Italian food that I've had has been two ends of the spectrum. It, it to me, feels quite polarised because sometimes you have very carby things. So you've got a big pizza or a pasta, something quite light on the fat, but very high in carbs. But then on the other side of the spectrum, sometimes you have something very high in fat and very light in carbs. So it's a little bit polarised. And this could potentially explain in areas that actually still adhere to this as opposed to in the cities in Italy where they are, where they have the same kind of obesity rates as, as places like here. This could potentially be why, one of the reasons why there is lower levels. Because actually, if you've ever had a pizza, there was a, there was a, there was a guy that did a, um, 
a thing recently to show that if you ate a pizza the kind of Italian way, i.e. not loads of fat on it, not loads of cheese, just a nice kind of nice breaded base, a little bit of tomato sauce, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of a few light toppings, but not a ridiculously stuffed crust type Domino's-esque thing, that actually could be not only not particularly unhealthy in terms of calories, um, because there was actually a study just to drop in there that showed that pizza was essentially the worst takeaway you could get because it had the most calories, was because they were probably measuring something like Domino's, which is might stuff their crust with um, with uh, cheese. That actually you could have pizza almost every day and, and not put on weight, which seems ludicrous because we're imagining the Domino's. But that's the thing is that often Italian food, a lot of these cultures will go one way or the other. You know, you and it's very then hard to essentially necess- not kind of over consume. But if you have lots and lots of carbohydrates, you tend to um, have a bit of a self-limiting. They fill up the stomach, particularly if you have obviously vegetables and things around them. But then go the other way, you can have small amounts of um, or kind of have fat on its own and not have that combination of the two. So that's the kind of point I'm trying to make is that sometimes polarized training can be a bit self-limiting. You can only do um, so much intensity. If you can't do the intensity, it kind of and it, and it does stop a little bit of that burnout as a natural process. But it doesn't mean that threshold is wrong. It also doesn't mean that you shouldn't be sampling these foods when you fancy them. So it, it's thinking about, well, today I might fancy this kind of food, or today I need this kind of food. And that's the problem with thinking of training methodologies, is that it would be preposterous if someone came along and said, you should only ever eat this style of food, and this is the best food, and it is always healthy. Because you'd laugh and think, well, I, I want a bit of variety. I want, you know, I think having different variety of foods is probably healthier. Having a sampling, being careful how much you eat of it is probably healthier. But this is the what we've been kind of led to believe. We've been led to believe that a polarised training or a methodology or a threshold training model is the only way and it's really not the case you've got to think of it in the concept of using them as tools so using them as tools at the right time so for instance if you were to plan this around let's say a triathlon type season you might do a lot of polarizing work in the more off season working on vo2 max and those side of things working on the kind of basic elements bringing in a bit of threshold here and there and then you may bring the threshold and particularly when you're training more specifically so again it comes back to tools in the toolbox so don't think of them as I'm following this and that is all I do and I'm following this and that is all I do. Think about what you might need at the time that you're at in relation to your races, but also your own personal uh, unique characteristics. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.